Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within, to seek out new joys and new methods of awakening, to boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome, 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 Awareness Explorers. I'm Jonathan Robinson, and I'm with my trusty co-host. Brian Tom O'Connor. And uh, he was just making me laugh, so I'm in a good mood. But uh, the country, the world, is in less of a good mood. I don't know if you noticed that, Brian, but uh, the crap is hitting the fan all over. You miss two hours of news nowadays, and, and you can miss a lot. How are you doing with all of it? Well, I sure did notice that, and it is extremely difficult when things are going crazy in the world to keep your composure, to keep peace, to keep calm, and to decide what's effective to do about it. Well, luckily, we have an entire podcast dedicated to that topic. So uh, we'll call it Finding Peace in a Turbulent World or something like that. There's plenty of material. And before we go into that topic, I do want to mention to our listeners that we are now on uh, the website Patreon, which is a very easy way to support your favorite podcasts or musicians. And if you go to patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers, you learn all about. But I want to tell people that for as little as a dollar a month, you can get our bonuses, which can include a blog, some special guided meditations. If you can support us up to $5 a month, you get other special things that I uh, normally sell for up to $60, but you get it free. And it gives all the details on the Patreon page. And um, I'll use my a Jewish guilt thing here. Is our podcast worth a dollar a month to you? Is, a, is Awakening to Awareness worth a dollar a month to you? How was that? Did I do it? Yeah, that was pretty good, I would say. Um, yeah. I'll give Lots you, of practice if, from if my... Not, if not the Oscar, at least a, a nomination. <laughs> okay, good. No, really, we do hope that um, we can help pay for the podcast and support you by giving you some free bonus stuff. So I hope you'll check out patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers. So let's go on to the subject today. Uh, in a world that seems to be falling apart and seems to have really good writers to give different slants on changing plot twists about every two hours now as we approach the presidential election here in the United States. Uh, how do you find peace and what do you do to try to be of help? And I know that you and I had previously discussed the wisdom of the serenity prayer. Do you have that prayer memorized or in front of you, Brian? I don't have it in front of me, but um, it's pretty well known. It's, it's, it's very common in 12-step programs and all, all over the world. And I think it pretty much goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, 
the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And That's of course, a lot of wisdom in one sentence. It really is. And, and you don't have to, you can even be an atheist. If you don't believe in God, just, just leave that part out. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, or universe, or myself, my own inner wisdom. Please grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Uh, I, I think, I think it's one of the wisest things ever said. Yeah, and nearly impossible to do <laughs> in actual <laughs> life. Uh, but let's talk about the first part of that: accept the things I cannot change. You know, something that's really helped me with that—not that I'm that good at is the idea that I don't necessarily know the entire plan or God's plan or the universe's plan, and I don't necessarily know what's best. And, you know, we always think like we know the whole story of how things should go. You know, that's basically what the human mind does. It's always saying this should be happening. But that's a very short-term view. And you know, you probably have experience where something supposedly or seemingly bad happened in your life, and then a year later, you realize that was great. Or, you know, a, a big example for me is, you know, when I was young, I had a stepfather that would sometimes uh, beat me up pretty bad. And at the time, I didn't think, oh, this is a good thing. But that definitely led to me exploring things like meditation, self-hypnosis, and self-help at the ripe old age of 12. So now when people ask me, gee, how did you get into this stuff so early? I often say, well, I really owe it to my stepfather. He really helped me to help inspire me to get into this stuff at an early age. And I really feel that way too. So we don't know the whole story. And I think that perspective can kind of soften our mind to just kind of accept things as they are uh, more easily. Well, it's, it's a tricky one, and it's complicated. I, it would be hard for me to, uh, to say, yes, um, you know, child abuse is a good thing, but all of our suffering does two things. It helps to deepen us, it can help us to have empathy to others who suffer, and it can set us on a search for what will heal us. In your case, that's what it did. And I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and also that our view of things is so short range, so short sighted, that having this attitude of, well, I don't know if this is good or bad in the long run can be a real gift. And there's a famous Sufi story along these lines about a man who had a horse and I turned it into a song, which I am going to, because I like people not sing for you, um, but I will recite it, the <laughs> lyrics. And uh, I think if people have not heard this story, this is a shortened version and it hopefully will speak to them. Once long ago, there lived an old man he had no money, he had no plan. All that he had was a horse oh so grand, 
and he and his horse lived off of the land. The king offered riches for this horse so fine. I'll give you my money if you make your horse mine. But the old man said, no, the horse won't be sold. He lives free with me. He lives free and bold. Then one day, the horse, he was gone. The horse has been stolen, the town folk cried on. The old man said, friends, don't look so sad. Though the horse is gone, it may not be bad. Well, the horse soon returned with others by his side. There were 12 now of beauty and pride. The town folk cried out, old man, you are right. You're blessed to have horses of unearthly delight. The old man had one much beloved son who rode one of the horses one day just for fun. But he broke both his legs while playing this game. And the town folk cried out, oh, what a shame. The old man said, fools, don't judge so soon. You hear just one note, but you sing the whole tune. Who's to say what the future may hold? My son's legs are broken, but the future untold. Well, soon there was war, and the young men of town were all sent to fight, and everyone was shot down. But the old man's son was saved from this plight. Since he had broken legs, he was not forced to fight. And the town folk cried out, again, you were right. But the old man replied, have you no sight? Only God knows what is and will be. To live and let live is to live and be free. Very nice. Very good rendition of that wise story. We don't know. And we want to control. And so much is outside of our control. You know, it's like, especially when, you know, when you're dealing with big events outside of your personal life, you know, politics or weather or fires or hurricanes, you know, our mind likes to control things, but these are all things that we have no control of. And yet the mind does not necessarily recognize that. And it complains, it, it does all kinds of stuff and focuses on these things which is really just a waste of time and energy. It really is. But it's such a thorny problem, especially in non-dual circles, um, because uh, one of the basic tenets of this approach is um, to allow everything to be as it is. And yet, I'm, 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 whenever I think about that, I'm haunted by a famous quote, which was, attributed or perhaps misattributed to Edmund Burke. And the quote is, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And so how do we square these two, these two approaches? Because I really do believe that the desire for control is one of the root causes of unhappiness and conflict between people and inner conflict as well. Um, although I believe that the control of our emotions is the main culprit. We don't want to feel what we feel, so we will do anything to not do that. But on the other hand, when we see social injustice, when we see our country uh, going in a direction we don't want, or when we see 
tyranny in the world, we we have a choice. We, we, we wonder what to do. Do I just allow everything to be as it is and do nothing? Or do I join the struggle and, and do something about it? And it is a thorny problem. I have some thoughts about it, which I'd be happy to go into. Um, but I was wondering if, if you wanted to comment on that first. Well, it is a tricky problem. Mastering this game is not easy or everyone would have done it. But the way it comes to me right off the bat is, you know, we live on multiple levels of reality. And in this moment, so I see it as a, as a time-based thing as to what I'm trying to do. The question in any moment is, can I allow what's happening to happen? Now, it might be that I'm allowing what's happening to happen, but because I don't like it, I plan in the future to do something about it. So I might not like the politics in this moment. You know, I'm receiving news. I allow things to be as they are. And then I decide I'm going to join this political organization to try to change things. So that's kind of how I look at it, but there is no one right way. I think everybody has to find what works for them on that balance of allowing on one hand and then taking effective actions so you're not helpless or powerless on the other hand. But that's I'd right. be interested in hearing what you have to say. Well, I think that that's right. And and what I have to say is, is along those same lines. And I believe I've told this story on the podcast before, but I think it bears repeating. And um, it's just an analogy that I thought up that addresses this idea. So imagine you're walking along a riverbank and you see a child in the river struggling, clearly about to drown. And imagine there's three ways of looking at it, or imagine there's three different people viewing this child. One says, I allow everything to be as it is, the universe is absolutely perfect, or it's God's will that that child is in the water drowning, who am I to do anything about it? That man does nothing. The second man says, oh, this should not be happening. This is absolutely awful. Who are those parents? Why didn't the, 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 the city put up guardrails along this river? And oh my God, I can't do anything because I'm wearing my best suit and, um, and, and, and I just, I just don't know what to do. This is just awful. This should not be. That man does nothing. The third man agrees with the first man. Yes, it's God's will that this child is drowning, but it's also God's will that this child is drowning within view of an able-bodied adult who can swim. Mm -hmm. He dives in, he saves the child. Good suit or not. And the distinction between the first and second one is, is key, because the first one, the extreme allowing everything to be as it is and therefore do nothing, is one extreme, but the other extreme is this should not be. And when you are totally absorbed in whatever happening should not be happening, you are far less, you're far less able, you're far less effective in doing anything about it. And the second person, 
the third person, I mean, allowed everything to be, allowed the fact that the child was drowning to be, but allowed the fact that it's necessary for him to jump in the water also to be. That's a great story. And yeah, aligning with reality is always a good place to then maybe influence it. Uh, as, as Byron Katie says, when you argue with reality, you lose, but just 100% of the time. That's right. <laughs> but the, the other thing is that a lot of the things that we don't allow is, is our feelings about what's happening. And, and, mm -hmm. and a lot of our, our reaction to the world, to world events, is, is this anger and this idea that somehow we, we get angry about it. And, and so therefore, we don't realize that what we don't want is to be so angry and upset about it. And so we rail and we complain and we moan, but we have to ask ourselves, well, being angry about it is something else you can also allow. But then you have to ask yourself, well, if I'm going to complain about it, is there something I can do about it that's effective? And if there's not, then accept reality, allow it to be. But if there is, then stop complaining and do it. Yeah. I like what you said about the feelings and allowing them because, you know, being that I had a difficult childhood, I, I initially learned to armor against some of my feelings or to not allow them or to make them, I shouldn't be feeling this way. And so I've been working for a long time on just allowing, you know, like, with some of the stuff going on in the world now, there's sadness and there's anger. And to allow sadness and anger, you know, originally I had a thought, well, I want to find peace. I want to be enlightened. You know, sadness and anger is not what I'm after. But by allowing what is there to be there, I align with reality and reality is always changing. And as I fully allow things like that, I find that I enter into a deeper embodiment of peace rather than pushing away or having to distract or do all the other things that I and other people do with their feelings. And it's a process. It's, it's a long process. And luckily, you get 100 times a day to practice it if you want. But, um, you know, a difference between psychology and spirituality is, you know, in, in a lot of psychology, you're really trying to focus on positive, especially in positive psychology, on positive and good feelings. But I see in non-dual circles and spirituality, you're actually trying to just relax and fully be with what is as a first step to experiencing a deeper peace and our true nature that's always in the background. Absolutely. And that is the first and most important step, uh, I believe. And what is, is not only what is happening, but also what you're called upon to do to help is also part of what is. Yeah. And, you know, I sometimes have used this analogy that if you're out in the ocean and you're a surfer and there's no waves, it's just, you know, you're peaceful, but it gets boring after a while. You're not getting better at surfing if there's no waves. But a good surfer will try and find the right size wave. Because if a tsunami comes along and, you know, ditches you into the, the sand, you're never going to want to surf again. 
So in this analogy, I think we grow spiritual muscles when we learn to surf the right size wave. And the right size wave is kind of being in the game, you know, not meditating in a cave where it's relatively easy to find peace if you have everything in your life going well or you don't have a lot of things going on. You can find peace that way. That's one way. But your peace becomes stronger as you're more in the world, but not of it. Uh, you're, you're surfing the difficulties of daily life or the difficulties of living in the world through a business or politics or trying to change things, but at the same time trying to find peace. And I know I kind of titrate myself. You know, if I lose my peace, I then spend a little bit more time meditating. Uh, but if I'm bored, then I say, well, maybe I need to volunteer here. or Maybe I need to be more in the world. And it's a constant balancing act and, and adjusting to what I might need in the moment. I love two of those analogies. I love the analogy of titrating and I love the analogy of, of surfing. As a matter of fact, there's an excellent book about that by Raphael Kushner called Surfing Your Inner Sea. Hmm. And I highly recommend it. And it's more about the turbulent emotions that we have and and how to surf them. So if, if you want to uh, check that out, it, it um, you know, it's, it's very wise. And it's a small and beautifully uh, printed and, uh, uh, and put together uh, book. But there's another element that that is sort of related to non-duality, because non-duality is all about a shift in identity. We mm -hmm. think we are these individual bodies and minds, and it's about a shift in identity to universal awareness, which is awareness that's looking out through my eyes, through your eyes simultaneously. It's the universe looking at itself through billions of temporary forms. And the relationship to that with our relation to current events has to do with our taking in as part of ourselves, as part of our ideas of selves. For example, let's say you read a really good novel or watch a great movie and you identify with a character. You bring that character into yourself temporarily and you almost as if feel as if you are that character experiencing these things and then your emotions rise up. You get angry mm -hmm. at the antagonist and you fear for the situations. Um, the same thing happen, uh, the same thing happens in sports. We identify with our home team. We take it in as part of ourselves, as part of our personalities is our home team. And therefore we villainize the other team. I mean, they could be excellent athletes, but we, you know, they're, they're bums. They're, they're bad guys. They're the guys they are. That we want to beat, right? And what's happened in our culture is the sportsification of politics, yeah. where we take on as part of ourselves, as part of our personality, a political party or, um, or, 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 or stance or wing or whatever. And the, and no matter what the other person or the other party does they are bad they are they they are evil they are wrong and it becomes extremely difficult to see through anybody else's eyes and it also leads to 
just opposing policies just because the other team is for them, which is which is crazy and, and not helpful at all. But in non-duality, when we sort of soften that sense of the center, the self center, the, the I that's that's isolated and defined and sort of broaden it out and include more and more of the universe, then I think that's a step towards easing that kind of sportsification attitude towards current events. Yeah, and it's very important that people find their way to that nowadays, because the burden of this us versus or me versus them or us versus them mindset is just really heavy. It's like carrying a backpack full of rocks on top of you all day. And certainly I, I know this because, you know, I like, there's part of me that likes to feel that separation, like I'm better than that, that they're wrong, that they're a bunch of idiots, you know, like that. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, it, it's kind of like a drug. And admitting that we're an addict of separation, I think, like in Alcoholics Anonymous, where the first step is to admit that you're an addict, uh, that we are addicts of separation, especially nowadays, and that we, if we're trying to find peace or a non-dual connection to our true nature, that there are principles and there are tools to help you through that. One of them for me is I simply ask the question, how is what they're doing like what I do? So when I see, you know, maybe president or, or some person act all kind of self-righteous, I think, well, yeah, I'm into self-righteousness too. Or maybe they're blaming somebody. I go, yeah, I know blame. Blame yeah. is something I really like too. And it helps to create how our shadow is actually what unites us. You know, we're all into these little things that we do, which are shadowy type things. And that's just part of being human. And to feel that, wow, I know what that's like, man, when I do that, I really suffer. So they must be really suffering. Yeah, and it really does help to give you a broader perspective on your own foibles on your own habits. And and these ideas of, of these self righteousness, or, or, or angry, or the feeling that the other person is an idiot, or whatever, these are all actually human things that happen in these individual body and minds, bodies and mind. And I have a hypothesis that when we start to broaden our view of it, in other words, when we look at those individual behaviors or thoughts or ideas or emotions, from the point of view of the background of awareness in which it appears, we start connecting to the unity of consciousness. We start creating a little wormhole back to the to to universal consciousness, which witnesses everything. And the hypothesis is that when you do that often enough, and when you look at the world from, let's call it unity consciousness, then mm -hmm. the actions that you can take to help, especially if you're helping others, actually, for some mysterious reason, becomes more effective. You're you're somehow working in concert with the greater good or in in vibration with the universe instead of in resistance 
to the universe. And when that, when you are in resistance to what's happening, you're creating um, a hard object that's not freely vibrating. And when you are softening that and you are vibrating, you are in harmony with the universe and your actions to improve things actually can become more effective in some mysterious way. Yeah, you know, what you resist persists. And on a very practical level, I'm now doing uh, phone calls for for a political candidate. And they they did a training and they said, you know, if you find somebody who's voting for the other guy, don't tell them how bad that person is, the other guy. Don't tell them that they're wrong. Empathize with them. You know, feel... Yeah, you know, I, I can understand that you really like that person and and uh, and feel their feelings, align yourself with them, you know, even love them, because that will change somebody's mind more than, you know, you're an idiot for for voting for that person. And so even on a very practical day to day thing, our ability to align with reality and not resist it creates an opening where something can move. And when we resist a person or resist a situation, we're unaligned with reality and it, what you resist persists. That is so good. So well said. And, uh, you also, I love it when you do that, Brian, I, 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 I I had a feeling of, Oh yes, I nailed it. (laughs) Well, you did nail it. It was so great. You also brought up love, Uh which is so key and, and and so difficult, especially this love your enemy. Mm. Oh my God. Did I say that? Or did somebody else say that? (laughs) Well, you brought in love. You didn't say love your enemy this time, but you, you, you may have said it before, but uh, I just, you know, I mean, for some, I don't know, I was surfing the internet and that phrase came up again. And, and, you know, I hadn't thought about that phrase in a long time and my gosh, how difficult that is partly because we have this sense that if we love our enemy, then we give up controlling that person's actions we give up the idea that we can or should control things. And that's very, very difficult to give up. So, so I'm not saying I have an easy answer to this, but what does it really mean to love your enemy? And what would you need to do in order to do that? And I think you'd first have to, I think you'd first have to see that you're really alike at, at the core, yes, both in your true nature and in your shadow. Yes. You know, we're so, we're, you know, it's funny, we're uh, like 98.5% the same DNA as chimps, but to each other, we're like 99.997% the same. Yep. And yet our whole mind and body is like focused on how that 0.0001% is different. And that's how we spend all our days. Exactly. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And but when we start to realize that 0% is different in back in behind in what's mm-hmm. looking in our true nature, our the, the which is basically the universe, just looking at itself through these temporary forms like waves that rise and fall that we are. And when we get connected to that, 
unity, then we can interact with the world from a position of unity instead of a position of division. Yeah. Well, we got a long way to go. Uh, we're, what we're seeing, hopefully, is when problems get really out of hand, as these are now, the polarization and such, that hopefully leads to the pendulum swinging back because you start to realize, wow, this is, this is first of all, no fun. It's not helping the world or the country. And it's a real problem. And I'm hoping that the pendulum has swung as about as far into separation as it can and that it needs to turn back. And maybe that's one of the things this podcast is about is that desire to let go of that separation and to experience that unity once again. And people listening to it, you know, are yearning for that. Well, I certainly hope you're right that the pendulum is swinging back. And, uh, and I hope that we're helping in some way to do that. And I think one small thing that is helpful to people who are struggling with the idea of allowing or action mm -hmm. um, is the concept of just for now. So let's say you sit down to meditate or to do an awareness practice, and you're only doing it for five minutes. You don't have to allow everything in the world to be as it is tomorrow or in an mm -hmm. hour, just for now, just for these five minutes. Can I allow everything to be as it is, including the world, including other people, including myself, and including my thoughts and feelings? Just for now. You can go and take action later. And I think that if we get into the habit of doing that, and we can even do it, as Locke Kelly says, small moments many times a day, then uh, we begin to, it, it colors the way we interact with the world. I love that. It's a great mantra, just for now, because it, it puts a, it makes it easier for the mind. Oh, I'm just doing it for now. Right. You know, tomorrow I can, or 10 minutes from now, I can do something else. And right. even when, when we're taking action in the world, to not be too attached to the action, just for now, I'm going to do the action without needing it to go a certain way. You know, that's what the Bhagavad Gita is about, you know, right. uh, the whole thing is how do you act without losing your peace? How do you act without attachment? So when I make these calls uh, for this political candidate, I, I always say, um, it's not my business how this call goes. That's God's business. <laughs> so that makes it easier for me to, you know, somebody starts to, and this has happened, somebody starts yelling at me and the candidate I'm supporting. And I go, well, God decided that that was not going to go well. <laughs> <laughs> right, but you do it anyway, and you do yeah. it without attachment to the results. Right. And um, yeah, that's very, that is, that is in your small way, or in, well, actually, it's, it's an important way, but uh, uh, taking the teachings of Bhagavad Gita to heart, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's wise. Yeah, another thing I'm finding helpful, like I'm always creating different things to help me, and 
hopefully passing them on to other people. And I uh, sent a blog out to people on my email list recently and got a lot of input about this. You know, the human mind is kind of like Velcro for negativity because a hundred thousand years ago, minds that focused on potential problems tended to survive better than people who are just like enjoying looking at the sky or whatever. So now we all have minds that are always focused on problems and on, are, are often complaining. So uh, when I notice my mind doing that, I simply very gently and nicely say, no, thank you. I don't want to go there. No, thank you. You know, it's trying to be helpful. My mind is saying, well, what about this? And what about this? Help, help. You know, it's like, it's like a hysterical uh, wound up doll. And I say, oh, no, thank you. I'm not interested in going there. And it does calm it down very much. And, and um, in a way, I'm giving it a slight shot of loving compassion. And it feels like a really simple technique. And as you know, I like techniques that take five seconds or less. So I hope our listeners will try that out to their complaining mind during these turbulent times and see if it helps, you know, because when you can reduce that complaining mind 25, 50%, that makes a huge difference in life. I think that's a wonderful technique, and I uh, hope people will try it. And it reminds me of, uh, uh, in our next episode, where we'll be interviewing Pamela Wilson. And she didn't say this during the interview, which we had already recorded, but, you know, I used to go to many satsangs with her, and she would say, thank your mind for its opinion. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was such a wonderful phrase, but it's very, very similar to your idea of, no, thank you. Uh-huh. It's a wonderful, simple, easy technique. And, and also, um, it also reminds me of Locke Kelly's technique, uh, which is, um, asking, who would you be with no problem to solve? Ah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we often define ourselves, our problems. That's right. And, and the mind, it's the way it works. It's, it's, it's its job. The mind's job is to find problems to solve. And we are not our minds. Our minds right. appear in us, mm -hmm. in awareness, which is who we are. Yeah, well said, well said. Well, my hope is for the people listening that they take really good care of themselves. You know, uh, there's so much going on and that you really have to make your mental, emotional, spiritual health more of a priority during times of such global stress. And I hope something we said today helps people along those lines. Me too. Along those lines, I believe you have a guided meditation for us. I do. Would this be a good time to dive into the guided meditation? Now is always a good time. <laughs> You're so right. All righty, here we go. First, take a couple of easy, deep breaths and relax. Close your eyes if you like, as long as you're not driving.
This meditation is just for now. After it's over, you can take any action you feel you need or want to take. But during this meditation, we're not trying to change anything. Think of something happening in the world that you don't like or that you feel shouldn't be. What is your opinion about it? Are you right? Are you sure you're right? Either answer is okay, as long as you ask the question as deeply and truthfully as you can. And just for now, just for five minutes, ask yourself if you can allow it to be the way it is. Just for now, just for five minutes, ask yourself if you can let go of any strategies to change anything about it, either about the situation or about how you feel about it. How do you feel right now? Is there an emotion arising? Where do you feel it? Where in the body does it live? Get curious. If you were a scientist studying this feeling in yourself and you had to report on your findings, what would they be? Does it have a shape? A texture? A color? Can you allow that feeling to simply be as it is without trying to change it in any way? Remember, we're only talking about letting go of changing the feeling you have about the situation, not the situation itself. So now let's return to the situation. Ask yourself if there's anything about the situation that is actually under your control. If there isn't, ask yourself if you can, just for now, let go of any attempts to control it. If there is, ask yourself, what can I do? After this meditation is over, that is. Is there any action that I can take that would be effective in improving the situation? Is there any action that I can take that would be helpful?
If there isn't, see if you can, just for a moment, take a deep breath and let go of the idea that you can control it. If there is, ask yourself, is this action for me so that I can feel better or for others? Is this action something that will help to decrease human suffering or increase human happiness? If so, imagine yourself doing it and being successful doing it. If not, take a deep breath and let go of the idea that you can control the situation. Now, imagine that there is only one thing going on in the universe. Just energy waving and taking on various temporary forms. If that's so, and you don't have to believe it's so, you just have to imagine that it is, if that's so, then what is looking out through your eyes is that one thing going on, the universe looking out through your eyes, the universe looking out through its own eyes. If that's so, then what's looking out through other people's eyes is the same, the universe looking out through their eyes at the same time through all eyes, simultaneously. If that's so, then it's a small step to imagine that we are all one. That nationalities, sports teams, and political parties are just temporary waves arising and falling back into the unity of oneness that we essentially are. Now, if you feel that after this meditation is over, there is something you can do to help decrease human suffering and increase human happiness then see if you can imagine doing it from that sense of unity with all beings who are, as you are, the universe looking out at itself through the eyes of temporary forms. When you look at the world through unity consciousness, then your actions can be ones that foster unity instead of creating more division.
when you're at peace with your own emotions, you can take steps in the world that help others instead of solving for your emotions. And then your actions can be healing and unifying. Envision a unified world. In fact, the world is already unified. So, envision a world that knows it's unified. And now, just take another easy, deep breath and open your eyes. I like the phrase, uh, the world is already unified. We're just not realizing it. That's right. And not such a basic principle in this whole, I don't know, philosophy or practice is that it's already there. We don't, we don't become more unified. We don't become more aware. We don't become more allowing. We notice what's already aware, what's already allowing, what's already everything. Yep. Yep. Well, that was a great exploration. And you covered a lot of bases in that meditation. Um, just to remind our listeners, we have on awarenessexplorers.com like 40 meditations under meditations. And during this turbulent time, feel free to use them for free. And if you feel guilty for taking all this stuff for free, please support us on patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers. Uh, we would really appreciate that. And um, I always look forward to these explorations either with you brian or with our guest explorers and i uh, hope our listeners take care and keep exploring keep exploring thank you for listening to awareness explorers to learn more you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app we'd love it if you would post a review and please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.